This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 408, Universe Cannibalism. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? Doing really well. So you made it back safely from the uh, Lunar and Planetary Science Conference? I, I did. I, I sadly had to leave all the awesome new science about Pluto and Mars and Ceres and everything behind. But now I'm home to work on awesome science, I hope. What, what was the, you know, 30 seconds, what was the biggest, coolest thing that was announced there? There are five-kilometer-high water mountains floating on a frozen nitrogen ocean on Pluto, and no one knows why. Whoa. Okay. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light, Inc. Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.8thlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thedigit8thlight.com. Drop them a note. Eighth Light. Software is their craft. Astronomy Cast is proudly sponsored by CleanCoders.com, training videos with personality for software professionals. So we've talked about stellar cannibalism and galactic cannibalism, and now it's time to take this concept to its logical extreme, universe cannibalism. In the multiverse theory of physics, we live in just one of a vast range of universes which might interact with each other. Let's look for the evidence. Is there some kind of Walking Dead theme here going on, Pamela? Have you been, like, really following along? So so I have to admit, I, I'm a Loot Crate subscriber, and last month's Loot Crate was zombie-themed. And so as I stared at the Walking Dead... Uh, figurine. It wasn't actually zombie themed, but it had Walking Dead and Deadpool. It was death themed. Uh, And as I stared at this stuff sitting on my desk, I was like, and we shall discuss cannibalism. It just it was just the direction I decided to go. I love my loot crates. You are super gross. Um, <laughs> and such a nerd. Um, and I say that with love. Um, as always, we like to kind of take things up to their logical extreme. And I didn't think you were going to go here. Uh, <laughs> I thought, you know, we were talking about galactic, vast galactic structures coming together with the very limits of gravity. And that's as much collision and cannibalism at a you know at a at a universal level as you can possibly pull off but no no you uh you up the ante so so when you talk about uh universes eating other universes what what are you talking about (laughs) so so this is actually still within our facts-based journey through the cosmos where 
When we look at the cosmic microwave background, we know that there is the potential to find evidence of our universe bumping up against other universes and getting, they call it bruised, because we have to anthropomorphize everything, uh, getting bruised in the process of bumping with other universes. And it's theoretically possible that if we do more than just bump our neighbors, we'll actually all die. And this is kind of the most catastrophic way that we can destroy the planet. It's not with an asteroid. It's not with a gamma ray burst. It's via universe cannibalism. Okay, okay, okay. So first... I don't usually get to do this know, to you. I know, it's fun. I know, I know. What you're seeing is me not even know where to start. Um, okay, so the first concept is this idea that there's multiple universes, right? Yes. So, and if I go back and talk, you know, we talked to other Pamela's in the past, perhaps in this universe and not in the other universes, she would say that the universe is all there is. There's nothing outside the universe. The universe isn't expanding into anything, there's just the universe. The universe is fully self-contained. You know, it could be infinite in size. It could wrap around on itself if it's finite in size. Great. So how can we have multiple of these universes? So so we have discussed multiverses in other uh, shows. And, and the idea is that back during the age of inflation – it is possible that that pocket of inflation that smoothed out our universe didn't necessarily stop everywhere or that it didn't stay stopped everywhere. And over time, new pockets of inflation created entirely new pocket universes, bubble universes, side by side, kind of spawning off of our own. And we're part of this multiverse foam of bubbles that each have slightly different physical parameters. Okay, stop. I'm going to do this a lot today, so just like prepare yourself for this. Uh, so we've got like the universe. Yes. And it's not the universe as we understand it. What we understand is the universe when we look back of, you know, we follow back to the Big Bang, this moment of like, you know, the, the singularity leading to inflation and then the expansion. That is actually just one bubble universe embedded in a larger framework of whatever is out there. Yes. Okay. All right. No problem. I got this. Fine. So, so these things across this larger expanse are just, you know, are expanding from singularities and forming universes, maybe with the same rules as we've got, maybe with different rules. Probably right? with different rules. And what's really cool, so, so the whole idea of inflation was something that originally came from Alan Guth. He actually figured out while he was in, I think it was his ninth year of being a postdoc, that point in your career where you're like, I'm never going to get tenured. And then he kind of figured out the key to cosmology, life, the universe, and everything. A few years later, other people, including Andre Lind, perhaps most famously, figured out that the inflation doesn't have to stop. You can end up with these multiple universes. And this takes care of the problem that it appears that the physics in our universe is fine-tuned to life because we don't want anything to be fine-tuned. We, we want just, just like straight old either underlying physics dictates the way things are. Or you can tweak things around a lot and you still get close to the same results. The fact that 
if you change things like the fine structure constant, just the tiniest amount, no more universe, really bugs people. But with this multiverse possibility, each different universe can be a different rolling of the dice, you might say. And so we're no longer finely tuned. We just happen to be in the right dice roll. Right. If my parents hadn't met, I wouldn't be here to think about my parents meeting. Yes. But right? more to the point, uh, we have just the right balance of dark energy, dark matter, and baryonic matter that stars, galaxies, and humans could form. Whereas in other universes, it might have just gone crunch. So we're finely tuned to life instead of a crunch. And I mean, this idea is very satisfying from, you know, because it's sort of a great idea, right? That you have like this. Just this vast expanse of something, and at some point, some event sets off a Big Bang. And, you know, there's there's this great idea of, you know, even with quantum theory, right, that if you wait long enough, long enough, like, you know, you don't have enough zeros to wait long enough, uh, you will get a universe's worth of matter all in one location, appearing spontaneously right right and and then and and as you say you roll the dice like you know like here you go you get there's no such thing as gravity there's only anti-gravity and and the fine structure con you know number is a whatever a 12th right so and you get one of these universes popping off like it just it it really blows your mind to think about the scale in terms of time, in terms of size, in terms of, of you know, number of times you'd have to roll the dice to get a universe with the kinds of, of constants that we have in ours. And, and folks who tried to use string theory to come up with an underlying physics that would require the set of parameters that we see in our universe – actually got flummoxed because they found, I believe it was 10 to the 500 different possible parameter sets, and none of them were required by the underlying physics. So there is, at least according to some string theory theories, and we all know how I feel about string theory, but they're finding order of 10 to the 500 different combinations of ways you can build a universe. Right. And so, you know, and that's just the multiverse theory. And we have done a whole show on this. You just have to search for Astronomy Cast Multiverse, and you can go back and, and find that. We talk about this and other kinds of multiverses. This is yeah. just one theory of a multiverse. Yeah. But now let's talk about the cannibalism portion of this. So where does these universes colliding or interacting come from? Well, what's kind of interesting is um, the the mathematics behind it in in some ways actually comes from a scientist getting a phone call from a journalist asking so what would happen if universes collide and and people hadn't really thought in a lot of detail about this and and it was Anthony Aguirre and I'm sorry if I mispronounced it um who who actually got this phone call and did this thinking and and he realized that This is actually something that's kind of cool to think about that's really low probability, probably, but could lead to observable side effects. Okay. 
such as? Well, if you have two galaxies, not galaxies, if you have two universes, much more interesting than galaxies, if you have two universes that have roughly the same energy colliding, it's it's sort of like two bubbles that have the same pressure on the inside and have fairly good surface tension bumping. They're going to actually just bounce off of each other. Um, If one of them's weak walled, if you have a huge difference in internal energies, they're going to eat each other. But if they're, if they're reasonably similar, they can bounce off of each other, but there's going to be deformation that occurs at that point where they bump into each other. And theorist after theorist after theorist in different ways has looked at this bump and come up with the idea that you end up with a bruise in the cosmic background, literally in the cosmic microwave background radiation, you can potentially see a place where there's less energy than you would expect. And it turns out that in our cosmic microwave background, there's a cold spot with less energy than you would expect. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, so you've got this like you know, like two bubbles. I, I'm just sort of imagining bubbles, you know, and I'm sure this, you know, this is the best our poor meat monkey brains can imagine, yes. right? Is bubbles expanding. And when uh, the the two bubbles come together, you get this, this region where they're not necessarily kind of overriding each other, but they're at least cooling each other down a little bit. Yes. And, and it's, it's, a loss of energy through the collision, cool spot. And and so this is something that we can go and look for. And another thing that has been predicted in this case by Kate Land, and there's some debate on this, but it looks like there's the potential that you could actually have gravity leak is the word that they use from one of the colliding universes to the other and create some sort of a galaxy flow that would be observable within our universe as a part of the sky that appears to be moving in ways that it otherwise probably shouldn't. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, and that would explain, you know, this is one of those ideas that would explain why gravity is just not on the same scale as the rest of the, of the universe. So well, would that's that a be a different kind of gravity other- leak? Actually, this is literally like take a part of the universe and it looks like there's something pulling on that part of the universe, but only that part of the universe that isn't right. pulling everywhere else. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. So then, what would that look like? Like, let's say that we. I'm, I'm assuming we're going to look in the cosmic microwave background radiation. You you can actually look at the galactic large scale structure for this one, and and so what you're looking for is is a part of the sky that appears to be moving in in ways that can't be explained when you add up all of the visible and dark matter uh, mass out there. And, and so what we need to do is go and look for some sort of a large-scale flow in the motions of objects in the universe, which, incidentally, we have also found. Well, isn't that the, like, the great attractor? Or are we looking or, for something at a way bigger scale than the great this, attractor? This is a bigger scale. And this is something that we refer to as the axes of evil, just because just we like to give things weird names. Um so, so this is, again, Anthony Aguirre refers to it as the axis of evil. It's, it's an area on the sky where we see a large-scale flow. Now, 
the problem is that all of these things that we're observing don't necessarily have to be explained this way. And there's lots of reasons not to explain them this way. But we're at the edge of our understanding. And so this is where it's cool to look at what are all the possible ways to try and understand what we're observing in our universe, what is factually possible, and what is most probable and least probable. Okay. So, <laughs> so what is most likely? So, so most likely is all of this is bollocks, and we can't actually observe any signs of a collision and and this cold spot in the co- cosmic microwave background that has been observed with both the the Wilkinson microwave anisotropy probe and with Planck and other large scale anisotropies that we see is just a matter of um, incomplete foreground subtra- subtraction and other biases uh, in how we're doing the data reduction, not in the instrument because we've seen it with two different instruments. But other biases in how we're trying to understand the universe that uh, are just causing us to not correctly understand the data. Right. Okay. Okay. So it's like you know, with the uh, discovery of of primordial gravitational waves, that there was just something in the way that was you know that messed up your data and what you thought was a huge chunk of the universe sliding towards another universe is actually just, you know, some dust in, in front of your, your telescope. And, and foreground corrections to the cosmic microwave background is one of the most finicky things that we have to do in science because you have to take into account all of the different stuff out there that is going to be gravitationally lensing this background cosmic microwave background light and all the things that are going to be subtracting out energy, adding in energy, um, as as essentially pollutants and it can be stuff as nearby as our own Oort cloud that affects what we're seeing or as far away as the intervening dust and gas that lurks between us and the other galaxies out there. Wow. Okay. So so that's sort of like the most likely is that, you know, it's just bad data. What is sort of less likely but cooler? What's less likely but cooler is that we're actually observing the bruising of our universe that occurred when at some point in the past we gently bumped, ever so gently because we're still alive, um, when our universe gently bumped up against another universe and uh, bounced back off again, we're still alive, and that bump left its literal impression in the cosmic microwave background wow but how would we see so we'd see that as a cooler spot but how would we see that you know how that sort of explain the axis of evil well so so the idea and again this this isn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily work this way but the the thought is and there's been several different people who who've worked on this but each of them has either disproven themselves or been disproven by somebody else and gone back to the drawing board. But the idea is um, through multiple different pathways, you end up with this idea that you can have a bulk flow where an external universe, one of the multiple multi-universes out there, pulled 
during the collision on stuff inside our universe, and this left a remnant bulk flow that can't be accounted for through matter that's in our universe. And so this is where you go looking for these unaccountable bulk flows, and the axes of evil is one of those things that people keep going, but that, that, maybe that, that's it. And then other people come along and go, mm, maybe not. And and so this is one of those things where uh, in order to prove the extraordinary, you have to have extraordinary evidence. And people are going to go, yeah, probably not in until absolutely every possible possible idea other than this was produced through colliding universes is ruled out. So, I mean, the way it seems right now, it seems fairly harmless, you know, like, you know, the gravitationally, some galaxies are going to maybe slide towards the, the mass, the gravity of that other universe. Yeah. But how, how can we make this catastrophic? Well, you know, so- you know, it, that other universe is trying to kill you, too. So, so the thing is, if, if we are seeing a bruise on the sky, and we're going to keep looking for these in the future, um, all we have to do is find perfectly circular little blobs in the microwave background, and people are out there looking for them. Um, if we find these evidences of, of bouncing off of other universe, that's evidence of low-impact events. Well, if you can have low impact events, uh, you can probably have high impact events. And this is the case of when you see two bubbles collide and instead of becoming two bubbles that bounce off of each other or two bubbles that sort of hang out making a giant blobby eight, uh, they instead become one new bubble. Well, when that one new bubble forms, when its universe is doing it, you end up with... um, basically all the physical parameters of one universe merging with the physical parameters of the other universe and everything being destroyed. It's it's described as seeing a giant reflective mirror the size of the sky flying at you at near the speed of light as the wall between one set of physical laws and the other essentially acts as a mirror. I'm sort of imagining like you take like you know, you know, two liquids, two different colored liquids, and you pour them together. But instead of it being liquids, you're talking about, you know, uh, the measurements of gravity, or the fine structure constant, right? Yes, you know, like in our universe, gravity goes at the way that it goes. But in that other universe, gravity is repulsive, or whatever, right? Um, Or it's green. You know, like it's just like it just, you know, they, they oil and water going on here when the two gravities come together. And, and for anyone caught in the mixture of that, you've essentially got, you know, new rules and they're not good ones. This is essentially the great nothing of the never-ending story, sweeping in and destroying everything. And screaming Moonchild is not going to rescue our universe. Right. Or the their other universe's version of it, right. uh, yeah. That, that kid can't help either. Uh, <laughs> so, so what would that look like if we could see that out in the universe? It it everything that I've read says that it would 
either look like a giant mirror flying at you at a close to the speed of light uh, because the idea is that light hitting this physical barrier would refract off of it and reflect backwards. Or it would be a great nothing racing at you at close to the speed of light. Right. And and it could very well be that it's the mixture of the two laws of gravity or... or everything. Or Just, everything. Anything. I mean, nothing. Fine structure, parameter changing, the the bulk balance between matter and um, dark matter. Heck, it could be an antimatter dominated universe that decides it wants to become one with us and everything just needs to annihilate for sport. But couldn't you theoretically, you know, have that be a different kind of universe inside of that? You know, that if that if the rules mix together, you end up with some other universe's rules and maybe that would be, you know, seemingly perfectly uh you know position for life uh, yeah but we would die while it was in the process of forming mm-hmm. yeah no absolutely no it'd be not for us it would be no. for the next yes. people yeah whoa that's crazy <laughs> uh but i but i like this idea right that we would see a reflection right in the yeah. in the cosmic microwave background or in the most distant parts of our observations perhaps james webb would turn something up like that it, it's really a Stephen King kind of way to die. And it, it's not so much a James Webb space telescope kind of problem as the successor to Planck. So, so one of the interesting things that they've done in trying to understand, did we collide with something or not, is a collision would leave a circular artifact in the cosmic microwave background. And simulations have been done to figure out, okay, if you feed our current modern data reduction software and instrumentation and everything that alters reality to be what we observe, um, if you feed various kinds of, of simulated universes into the data reduction pipeline, how many circular artifacts do you expect to randomly encounter? And the answer is 10, which is kind of cool. 10 random things should be produced. And when you look at the actual universe, um, there's 14 circular artifacts identified. And four of those are in a part of the sky where it's kind of squirrely and we'd kind of expect actually maybe this part of the sky would easily produce circular artifacts. So it's, it's, it's something that we're actively looking for and we have the data ability to do, but we're still at the comparing simulated with actual to try and tease out, well, what's the probability that what we're looking at is just an artifact? If we get better resolution so that we're not doing all of these simulations to try and tweak out, is, is this expected or is this bruising of the universe um it's it's possible that we will with higher resolution start to see why yes yes we did indeed collide with something in the past and we we need to worry but but as one of the scientists put it um he doesn't generally worry about dying by getting hit by a car while crossing the street in new york city and so he's not going to generally worry about dying because our universe collides with another universe so yeah it's possible any given one of us might die crossing the street in new york city and people do die that way but our entire planet it's 
pretty small fraction, and it's probably a very rare possibility that in the history of the universe, we will die via universe collision. <laughs> or if not, you know, when the universe, the heat death universe, when everything cools down, or when the universe randomly collapses uh, to its final energy state. So the universe has got so many ways to to kill to us. To kill it's, us. Yeah, it, it really, it's, it's it's got its choice. Yes. And if Fire, it doesn't, ice. Yeah, and if it doesn't come up with it, then other universes will do the work. If it doesn't have the guts to take us out, then those other universes are going to do it. So It's true. It's true. So are we, are we done with this series, Pamela? Can you take this any further? Or have we reached the end of the, I, I think uh, of the cannibalism series? I think we the end of our cannibalism series. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, well, that was really wonderful. You know I love to talk about this kind of stuff. So thank you so much for, for queuing this up. I, that was awesome. Thanks, Pamela. <laughs> thank you, Fraser. Thanks for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at infoastronomycast.com. Tweet us at astronomycast. Like us on Facebook or circle us on Google. We record our show live on Google every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern or 2000 Greenwich Mean Time. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over at CosmoQuest.org. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax deductible for U.S. residents. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend us to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Searle and the show is edited by Preston Gibson. 